This episode of Paper Team is brought to you by the Tracking Board's Launchpad Writing Competitions. In just four years, the Launchpad has helped 216 writers get signed, 68 projects get set up, 35 writers get stuffed, and led to four bidding wars. To check out their current and upcoming competitions, visit tblaunchpad.com and see how the Launchpad can jumpstart your professional writing career. Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to be talking about world building 101. What exactly is the point of world building in TV and TV pilots? What are some good and not so good examples? How can you implement world building effectively in your own writing? And what are some common pitfalls to avoid falling into? And what are some rhetorical questions you can ask yourself? let's jump right into it nick what is the point of world building essentially what we're doing is creating the world or setting of original material for tv whether that's a pilot script or a tv bible or other kind of materials and in that you kind of have a spectrum of choices between our world which is exactly as it is now or perhaps true to life history to a familiar but heightened or changed reality all the way to 100 percent unique unfamiliar world something like star trek or game of thrones But the point of building out your unique world for this show is a number of things. You can be giving depth to your material and your content and your characters and your story. It also helps it stand out from other shows. It kind of tells the audience why this story is being told, why it's important that it's taking place here and now. And it gives you kind of a place where your story fits in in a larger sense and helps you make that narrative really much more three-dimensional. Just to jump on that real quick, Game of Thrones is a great example of that where you have this insane mythology about Westeros in this world, but the reason why we're there now is because we're following the Starks, right? That's the first season really is to see why here right now that's kind of a big question for any story any show any movie what have you so having the world building enhance that is the primary reason for why it exists now i will say this you cannot overstate how important world building is however subtle or minute it can be if you think about it every single tv show movie or book has to do some kind of world building at some point as an audience member you go into a show cold I mean, maybe you've read a log line or you've seen some trailers, but by and large, you're watching something new because you do not know how it's going to turn out, right? That's why you're watching entertainment. So the job of a TV pilot, for example, is by definition, world building. It's about introducing you, the audience or the reader to brand new characters and brand new stories all set in some kind of brand new world. Now, you may be thinking, okay, what about the procedurals? Well, the world of a procedural may be familiar. If it's a cop procedural set in New York City, obviously you already know or have some kind of working understanding of the game, but the pilot, and by extension the TV show, still has to build their own world within it. How are the rules different in this version of the game? So if you take, for example, The Shield on FX, it is a subversion of the cop genre. The protagonists are the bad guy, like Vic, while the good guys are the antagonists, like Claudette Wims, played by the awesome character actress C.C.H. Pounder, as we've seen in season three of BoJack Horseman. And that is why The Shield was so transformative as a TV show at the time, and that is one of the many reasons why it brought forth the male anti-hero genre to basic cable. I think it might be helpful for us to talk about our own experiences of world building for a minute and how we come up with the mythology for our stories. So for me, my writing partner and I, we have an adult animated comedy project called Horsewomen, and it's about the four horsewomen in the apocalypse who try to end the world only to find the world refuses to be ended by women. 
So for that, the world and the mythology kind of originated the project. For me, it started out as I had this idea I wanted to do like sex in the city, but Carrie was literally the devil who had come to Earth to steal men's souls. But then we wanted to make it more of an ensemble, so we kind of continued to tap into that Christian mythology and came up with the horsemen of the apocalypse, which I'm not going to pretend is an original idea by any means. So that meant that the question for us was, how do we go about adapting that mythology and making it unique? So for us, it was like, well, what if they were women and what would that mean? For example, it meant that like women in the real world, they wouldn't get the same respect as men in the workplace. So even if their job was to bring about the apocalypse, people aren't going to take them seriously because they're women, because they expect the biblical horsemen of the apocalypse to be men in the same way that people expect men to be like doctors or cops or something in our world as the default. Speaking of adapting something to your own liking almost, I have a couple of examples of mine on the drama side in terms of world building. One isn't strictly speaking about mythology. It's a World War II pure drama pilot that I wrote. And the conceit of the show is it takes place in a kind of unexplored part of history and through the perspective of an unexpected female lead. So from the ground up already, I sort of had to reinvent the rules of that kind of war drama, especially since the audience would not be familiar with this angle of history at all. And there, the heavy lifting is really about giving enough of a sense of that world to give the story and characters meaning while still informing the audience. The difference here in many ways is that I'm adapting something that already exists, be it historical characters, historical events, or even history itself. So it's really incumbent upon me, the writer, to not overload the audience with unnecessary information, which we'll talk in depth about later in this episode. But the dynamic between say the military characters and the civilian characters are going to showcase the rules of that world. Now, practically speaking, I've done my research before writing and I'm confident that I know my world or the world that I want to write about inside out. So when it comes to actually writing the outline and the draft, at that point, I had to trust that what I know and have learned through my research can be channeled organically in the dynamic of my characters and the stories being told. Speaking of that world and setting for Horsewomen, we kind of wanted to do a juxtaposition that played against audiences' expectations. So we made Earth into essentially like a Trumpian nightmare. And this is, we wrote this well oh. before Trump was even in the running. I was going to ask, is this set in present day? No, <laughs> it's, it, we weirdly predicted it, where all these political beliefs and behaviors are pushed to an extreme. And in contrast, hell where the horsewomen are from is actually a pretty nice place compared to Earth. So in that way, we almost sympathize more with the horsewomen's efforts to end the world and bring about hell on Earth. Like they're almost trying to help. But overall, as unique of a world as it is and as different as it is from our own, there are still all of these familiar elements that are just being heightened or reversed or subverted. They're not just being pulled completely out of nothing. And I think that that is a key, particularly to comedy. As crazy as it is, people need to be able to relate and understand what it is about their life or their world that's being made fun of or parodied or satirized and what the creator is kind of saying in doing so, what hypocrisy is being pointed out or the point that's being made by that. I would say that's not necessarily only for comedy, a lot of dramas, that especially if you look at something by Brian Fuller, a lot of his shows are very much about magical realism and this otherworldly story, but you still got to relate as people to it. Speaking of subverting existing concepts, one show that I love and has inspired me time after time is The Good Wife. Now, one of my pilots is actually in the vein of The Good Wife. The show specifically took place in an area of the law, rarely explored in TV, and in fact, a part of the law that works kind of differently from elsewhere. Even the judges are not named judges, they're called surrogates. So in the pilot, I had to do all that legwork of introducing how that specific world works, but more importantly, do it through a character and story. 
So through my episode case, my kind of legal case of the week, I was able to shine a light on the specificities of that part of the law. And I'm very familiar with the shorthands used in TV shows about law, like the practice of the good wife. So as Nick brought up in his own version of subverting audience expectation, it was my own opportunity to kind of twist those legal expectations, so to speak. So even though the audience are not aware of the logistics or mechanics, and actually, frankly, don't need to be, they still are going to be surprised and entertained. Yeah, and when it comes to kind of characters, you want to do some of that twisting too. So for Horsewomen, having this mythology and world built meant that we had touchstones for each of the characters already. There were going to be war and famine and pestilence and death. And so those archetypes give an automatic suggestion of what that character should be like. And for some of them, we did play into that. So war is confident and aggressive and argumentative. But for others, we deliberately played them against expectations. So death is actually quite meek and innocent. She hates violence and killing and death. So it naturally puts her at odds with her job description and also her sisters who are more in line with their namesake and so it creates an inherent conflict and comedy to that and even with the supporting cast we decided to again reach into that mythology and not taking things exactly as they were we tweaked things and decided that you know satan was going to be their father and he's kind of the jeffrey tambor-esque dad who represents these old-fashioned rules and the patriarchy holding his daughters back but it's not out of hatred it's more of a misguided love or ignorance and then the antichrist who's another kind of christian figure none of these are usually linked like this they're not family in the bible but now he's their kind of mediocre brother who is all set to inherit the throne just because he's a man and we made it almost like a family sitcom using that world building and mythology's inspiration and jumping off points. Yeah, I absolutely agree that world building should be used to emphasize character. And just to jump back again on my own example of the World War II period peace drama, I think on my end, it was more about deconstructing the myth because a lot of the historical characters that are in play, they have their own mythology and or in the largest sense. It's a period of history that hasn't been really explored on the narrative level or in movies or fiction. However, uh, historically, it's already seen as almost like a positive element of history. So by and large, in my pilot and my show, my job in building that world is to kind of either explain or deconstruct the mystique surrounding these people. You know, why are they so revered or feared or adored. Once again, it's about building the world to offer the opportunity for the characters to respond to it. And in the process, we, the audience, can learn who they are. Let's get practical for a minute and talk about the tools that we have at our disposal for world building and how we can effectively implement that in our script. I think the first big thing about implementing world building in your writing is that you need to ground it in your story. That's the intrinsic purpose of world building, right? It's to explain things to the audience, be it through story or character. So there are multiple ways of grounding the work in a believable reality. And let's talk about a few of them. Firstly, as we mentioned before, there are these audience expectations in place. As a rule, the audience is going to assume by default that the world depicted on screen is the same as ours in every way unless you provide evidence otherwise, which is the entire point of world building. Then you can either let them believe that, that this is the same world as we're used to until one key thing changes as a surprise or reveal and they're like whoa there's aliens walking among us or something whoa. or you can immediately dissuade them of that belief from your first scene by establishing advanced technology or the presence of magic or an alternate history in place I think a really useful tool when you're starting out world building your world is to use historical or mythological shorthands. I think, as Nick brought up, you got to bank on audience expectations as almost a shorthand. You can spring off of an existing conceit or world to either subvert or add to it. 
but just don't lay it as it is. A good example of that is Battlestar Galactica, which kind of used Greek and Roman mythologies to bring a level of depth to its story and meaning to its plot and characters. You can also use, again, historical shorthands. Man in the High Castle is a great example of that. But even on a broader level, something like the Civil War, if you look at Firefly, even though you may think it's kind of crazy sci-fi show, space opera, what have you, or Western in space, it still has a lot of those American history components built into its story. We understand the conflict of rebels versus the Empire because we've all seen Star Wars and we are familiar with the overall dichotomy that is the American Civil War. The amount of shows that are essentially just a retelling of Shakespeare or an ancient myth or something like that (laughs) with a new skin on it for a modern age is astounding. But they do it so well by subverting those elements that you might not even realize until someone points it out. On that note, I think you need to be really careful about falling into cliches. For example, like it's the second coming of Jesus as a sitcom and he's like a down and out stoner in New York. Like I've heard that pitched a million times. (laughs) So you always got to try and do something different and unique with it and maybe not the first thing that springs to head because everyone else is going to have thought of that. So look at American Gods recently, which just came out on stars for a great example of how to take these pre-existing notions of what people believe about these ancient religious figures or whatever, and then put your own spin and nuance on them and modernize them in a clever way. Yeah, I think that's exactly where world building can truly shine and show you as a great writer versus just a hack. It's when you can showcase the differences in your rules organically within the story and the characters, as I mentioned above with this idea of rules of the game, even in procedurals. I mean, Star Trek is in no small part, if you look at the political spectrum, it is a united federalist world. It's kind of a cross between what the US and the European Union aspire to be as abstract entities. Obviously, it's about us as people and so forth, like any good sci-fi is, but it also offers an actual backdrop to explain those ideologies and bring forth a conversation that at that point hadn't been taking place in science fiction. One example of how you can do world building badly or in a problematic way is cultural appropriation. And I want to preface this by saying that I am a white man and I don't assume to speak on behalf of people from other races or cultures or abilities or genders, but I do think this is important to bring up. So the example I'm going to use is J.K. Rowling, uh, when she recently invented this Ilva Morney, the idea of an American wizard school and all the mythology and stuff around that. Like there wasn't even a book to go with it. It was just, here's a bunch of world building and mythology for everyone to satisfy you. But it caught a huge backlash because what it did was it took Native American mythology from different tribes and stuff and essentially played into cliches and stereotypes about those people. And it made them seem almost primitive or uncivilized until all these European wizards came along and set up this school and codified magic and made it all formal and whatever, rather than appreciating and celebrating native culture as different but not lesser. So it all kind of ties into this colonialist narrative of history where native peoples all over the world have always been seen as savages and inferior to white people and uncivilized because their culture is different to our own. And they're doing that through a lens of applying our own cultural standards or technology or culture against theirs. It's this cultural relativism. So they're making judgment calls about something for which there is no objective standard. It's only our own subjective and learned experiences where we say that this is correct because this is what we're used to. And we're naturally biased towards what's familiar and normal for us. So the takeaway from that for me is that I recommend if you're writing about or drawing heavily from a culture that's not your own, especially if it's one that's been historically oppressed or marginalized, and if they're still modern and living cultures. For example, the ancient Greek mythology might not be as much of an issue, but the more modern ones as well. I think you should need to educate yourself and do your research. 
and probably speak to people from that culture or have them read your work and make sure that you are handling it appropriately and respectfully. And there's actually a website where you can look up and hire what they call sensitivity readers who can do that for you for a fee. So if you're writing about, say, Chinese culture or about the LGBTQ experience, or if you have a character who is disabled or someone who is a Sunni Muslim, they can tell you if you're doing it in a way that's likely to offend or hurt those people and how you can correct that and better understand the nuance of those issues and representations of those groups. So much of it is based on education and doing your work, basically, which is research and talking to people who actually probably know more about this than you do. Exactly. There's a huge burden, I think, on television as an industry that is responsible for representing things in the world and that informs a lot of people's understandings of cultures and of people and whatever to do it in the right way. And I think it's important that we all recognize that. Of course. Now, going back to factors that are in play when you are doing world building, much like Carl Sagan in Cosmos, your audience lives on the spaceship of the imagination. And by that, I mean simply great world building is about inferring, not outright stating. Less is more. Remember, if you give a hint of what might have transpired, you don't really need to show it or explain it. Uh, now, this is not necessarily a TV show example, but recently there's this little movie called Logan that came out. Mm -hmm. Great uh, movie. And it did this whole inferring really well where you had kind of Professor X and Logan's dynamic and almost antagonistic dynamic all based on some kind of incident that Professor X created that happened to them before the movie off screen. And you sort of understand the weight of what happened and what transpired in the character's relationship with each other. And just because you crafted pre-outline and pre-draft this amazing mythology about space aliens or what have you, doesn't mean you need to cram it down our throats in the story. If it doesn't enhance the story, then it doesn't need to be there in the first place. Yeah, we did never see a flashback of that and we didn't need to. Previously on Logan. <laughs> yeah. And I think this is kind of an odd example, but on the flip side, maybe sometimes you do need to add more world building to that bone. There's this show called Defiance that was a sci-fi TV show that ran a few seasons. And I like to bring that up as an interesting example because I sometimes felt that the Wikipedia page for the show was more interesting than some of the episodes of the show itself. And that's not a diss on the writing itself. It's more to do with the fact that there's actual explanation about the different alien races and their relationships and their nuances to one another in that Wikipedia page that I felt was very absent from the show. And the show played it too coy for my own interest. It was kind of trading the line between pure science fiction show and then also kind of this cop procedural. I think that is an issue for a lot of newer writers that they have with their pilots is they have all this stuff in their head about how the world of their show is different, but none of it actually comes out on the page. So suddenly we get to three quarters of the way through the script and someone takes off and starts flying. And we're like, what? How did that happen? And you ask the writer and they're like, oh no, there are genetic mutations in this world and some people can do that. And it's like, okay, well, that's great, but you need to establish that somewhere before you can use it as a device in your story. As you brought up, it needs to be intrinsic to that story. An interesting example on the TV end is this pilot called 17th Precinct, which I believe I brought up in that previous episode. But basically this world is a cop procedural set and a universe where instead of signs people use magic and so the button of that episode of that pilot was that the detectives on the case found this thing called a bullet 
as in wait what is this thing because they obviously science created weapons as in guns so the introduction of science to this world is in of itself an interesting reveal but again it's using that audience's pre-existing understanding of things that you haven't put into the script to your advantage i think conversely as well writers can sometimes fall into the trap of offloading a bunch of mythology and backstory but never actually paying it off within the pilot i think that it's important to only really tell the reader and the audience what they need to know right an important factor in screenwriting is real estate. You got to manage that page space as well as screen time. And good world building is there for exposition. It's either for you so you can understand the characters better as a writer as you create that story or for the audience so they understand it better. Now, since real estate is such an important factor in screenwriting, for me, powerful world building is about efficient world building. You don't have the luxury to waste page space or screen time with pointless explanations of the world. A good example or bad example is sometimes you have a lot of chirons on the screen that are basically there for info dump, are basically there to explain the mythology of in the year 2300, this thing yeah. happened and blah, 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 blah. And maybe there's ways in your story, organically in your characters, to showcase that without having some kind of narrator or some kind of on-screen prompt that explains to the audience what's going on here. And what I mean by efficient world building is that you don't want to intrude on the story itself. You want it to espouse it and add to it. Ultimately, the world building is the there to service your characters and your story, not the other way around. So let's just cover some miscellaneous frequently asked questions or do's and don'ts of world building. What are maybe some traps you can fall into? The big one is you may use world building as a reason not to write or some kind of excuse to divert from your story. Much like research, you do get bogged down occasionally in details. Maybe it's a reason for procrastination. I don't know. But don't just create and invent worlds for no reason. Make whatever you create mean something in your story. Maybe it's a one-off event that has a huge impact on the character's past. Again, to bring up Firefly, you've got the Unification War and the Battle of Serenity Valley. Maybe it's a physical item that has been passed from generation to generation, like the Stark Sword in Game of Thrones. If you look at Harry Potter or Game of Thrones, we love those worlds precisely for their in-depth mythologies, but that's not why they're so successful in the first place. They're successful because we follow within them characters we care about. The Westeros houses or the Hogwarts houses are there to heighten and contrast our characters to one another. They're not just there for window dressing. Exactly. I think that almost everything you do in the way of building a world or a setting, even in creating your supporting characters and crafting the events of the plot, it should all tie into and directly affect or interact with your characters and their journey or their conflict and also the theme of your show. You don't just have a high-tech sci-fi world because it looks cool. You're doing it because you're trying to explore themes of humanity and what it means to be human when you can replace every part of your body with a robotic limb or a computer chip like the Fox show Almost Human. Or you have a dystopian world where women are oppressed and subjugated because it speaks to something that's happening in our own world and something that we need to realize and where what we're currently doing could lead, for example, in The Handmaid's Tale and Hulu. So you're just choosing the best colors on your palette and the best brushes to paint the most effective picture you can. You don't just pick things at random and hope it turns out cool. For sure. And I think another questionable decision is using world building as a crutch for good storytelling. Now, this is a larger point that goes beyond just TV pilots, but I think a lot of big shows at the moment have, at least for me, kind of the issue of spending an entire season to set up the basic premise of the show. I mean, I can cite Westworld, The Expense, even Game of Thrones. I love the first season of Game of Thrones, but ultimately the first season was just there to kill Ned Stark and set in motions the Game of Thrones, really. 
really. So really what they're doing is just spending the whole season to get you inside that world and exposit the characters and the rules of the game. I mean, Westworld, spoiler alert, it takes an entire season for the robots to rebel. I keep bringing up the example of Jurassic Park for Westworld in my life because both stories were written by the same writer originally. So imagine a Jurassic Park TV show where a whole season took place before the fence came down and the T-Rex came out. That's basically what Westworld, the first season, was about. It took a whole season. Now, I'm not saying it's a good or bad thing all of the time, but sometimes as a viewer, I think as a writer, we take for granted that people are going to be watching our content, assuming it gets picked up. And I think that's a big danger now with Peak TV. There are a lot of creators and institutions and companies and whatever that have the ability to do that because they've already proven themselves. And they're like, hey, I want to do this show. And they'll basically let them have free reign with it and do whatever they want. And people are going to watch it because it looks great. And we're confident that they're taking it somewhere, that they're going to tell us a good story eventually. But as a newer writer, you don't have that benefit of the doubt. People are going to want to see something happening in your pilot script and not just all be set up in exposition. So maybe once you get to the level of J.J. Abrams, you can do that however you like. But right now, it's important to hone in on things and play by the rules a little bit more right now. The examples that I just mentioned are all kind of adaptation of something, you know, The Expense and Game of Thrones are obviously books. Westworld is a movie, even though they kind of created their own mythology behind it. When you're writing a pilot, usually you're not going to be adapting something. So I think it's incumbent upon you to bring up the world building and the backdrop of your story rather than just waste time treading water until it gets to the plot. Yeah, those people were able to go into a studio or a network with pre-existing IP and go, here's a book that millions of people have bought and then everyone loves. And I'm an established TV writer and creator. And you know that I can do this, please give me the money and I'll go make the show. Again, as a new writer, you don't have that. So you need to be thinking about it in a different way. So another example, I think of something that writers can do wrong with world building is trying to put all of your world building onto the page. Everyone doesn't need to know every single piece of your backstory and world history if it's not relevant to the show in that moment. I think it's okay if just you as the writer know that and it informs how you write the characters and the plot. Don't think, oh, I've done all this work and no one's going to appreciate it. It is still going to help you better understand your characters and your world and your situations. And especially that kind of historical world-building exposition can be some of the clunkiest stuff to drop in, especially in dialogue too. As everyone in that world already inherently knows that, and there's usually no good reason for it to come up. No one on Earth is ever standing around and feels a need to bring up how many days we have in a year or that we only have one sun or something. (laughs) Wait, Nick, uh, what day is today? Ooh, it is uh, this day of the year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, ever since the revolution happened, I would like... <laughs> Are we living in a, some kind of civil war drama? Is that what's happening? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I completely agree that it's kind of wasted space. Again, it goes back to being efficient and being there, world building, needing to be there for the characters and for the story, not for the audience, right? The audience maybe needs to know X or Y elements, but if it doesn't impact the story or the characters, they actually don't need to know that information. And a lot of shows that go on for several seasons, they do fall into the trap of having this special episode that's kind of set in the past. That's almost like a flashback episode. And they may be entertaining as sort of standalone episodes, but they're always there to fill some kind of expository gap just for the audience. When you have episodes set in the past, by definition, they're just there for exposition, as in they don't have any impact or relevance to present storyline. An interesting example is the Battlestar Galactica third season episode that is entirely there to explain what happened during the occupation of the Cylons on New Caprica. 
And honestly, as an audience member, I never needed to see that happen. Maybe I could have read about it, or maybe I did hear characters talk about what happened, but having a whole episode dedicated to that story, I mean, it's interesting for that one episode, but in the bigger picture, it doesn't bring me anything new. Then they did a spinoff show of it later that didn't go too well. Oh, God. <laughs> That's Caprica. That's a different story. I'm specifically right, talking right. about the third season occupation of the Silence on New Caprica, where they spent an entire episode just talking about what the characters have been up to for those two years. Oh, yes. And yeah. that didn't really reveal anything new in terms of the story, really. Mm-hmm. Honestly, as well, if the best case scenario happens and you sell a show and it gets picked up and it goes to air and you're working in the writer's room, a lot of that backstory or history might change with how the plot unfolds and how things happen episode by episode. And at that point, you have someone, whether it's the writer's assistant or the script coordinator, who is building that Bible up for you from what's happened. And you also have like fan wikis and people keeping track of all those things Lost as well. Media. Exactly. So they're often better at that than the writers are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not uncommon for actual writers room to go on the wikipedia page of their own show yeah. <laughs> to see what, uh, what's going on <laughs> yeah wait what happened in my own show what <laughs> i think jill mentioned that in our WonderCon panel right yeah. yeah now just to finish on a couple of other traps you may fall into watered down world building in my mind is rarely better than no world building we brought up these random elements or examples of random sci-fi elements that didn't add much to the plot so question why they're there in the first place give your story a strong sense of place and belonging it ties back to the whole why here why now and three dimensionalization of the story but once again it doesn't mean you need to front load the backstory world don't invent a whole alien language for your pilot if they're only going to be like three sentences that are going to be spoken in it, <laughs> when all you could do is just specify in the prose, you know, in parentheses, set into a Thracian. And you don't need to invent like the Thraki for Game of Thrones pilot. And also, like we said before, don't think that just because you're writing a more traditional down-the-line show, like a medical procedural or a sitcom with four friends in an apartment in New York, that this means you don't have to do any world building. World building isn't just aliens and magic and alternate history. It can just be character backstories. Why does Dr. House walk with a limp. How does his past come back to affect him over the course of the show? And they did actually do an episode about that. You know, even Seinfeld has a lot of eccentricities within its world that make it different to say Friends, which is a very similar premise. So think about the makeup of Jerry's apartment building. He's got Kramer across the thing from him and he's got Newman in the apartment building as well, who's like a rival or an enemy. I don't know if we ever find out why they hate each other, but he is a part of Jerry's world and it's one that impacts him as an obstacle and antagonist in various plots of the episodes of the show. Yeah, I mean, on Friends, there's a whole thing about uh, Monica's past and how like overweight she was and there's the VHS tape of their prom night that they found there's, there's a whole episode about that, that exactly it just gives more depth to the characters and, and gives you more tools to play with your stories for sure I mean all TV pilots and stories however mundane or noble you think they are will have to do some level of world building at some point but ultimately it needs to be there to enhance characters and story <laughs> All right, Nick, what are some takeaways? Number one, good world building helps you give depth to and more ammunition for your material, your characters, your theme, and your story. And it helps it stand out from other shows. Number two, world building should be efficient and organic. Understanding the world of your story will help you write it more effectively, even if it doesn't all go down on the page. So only put as much of it on the page as needs to be there in the first place. And number three, be aware of the audience's expectations about the world and pre-existing mythologies. Use that familiarity to your advantage, but don't play into lazy stereotypes and cliches. Find a unique and nuanced way to reinvent, subvert, or adapt those elements in your show. 
All right. And we, do we have any resources for our listeners? Well, my resource is the subreddit r slash worldbuilding. As they describe the subreddit themselves, quote, for geeks and nerds, artists, writers, philosophers, politicians, and scientists alike, the creation of new worlds and new universes has been a key element of science fiction and fantasy. It can also exist outside the realm of sci-fi literature and RPG gaming as a means of exploring possibilities. This subreddit is about sharing your worlds and discussing the many aspects of creating new universes sounds fun and my resource is going to be a link to what i was talking about before with the sensitivity readers there's a website called writeinthemargins.org and they have a big excel spreadsheet of readers that cover different topics and groups and that sort of thing who you may want to have your pilot read by to make sure that it's sensitive to those needs we'll give you that in the show notes all right. And on that note, we would like to thank you listeners for investing time listening to us discuss world building. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 44. Yeah, and if you'd like to leave us some reviews, please, please do. You can do that at paperteam.co slash iTunes. When you do leave us reviews, that helps us get more listeners and build our paper team community. In fact, do that right now. Well, we're going to take a short break right now. <laughs> just, kidding, just kidding. We'll wait. And once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, the Tracking Board's Launchpad Writing Competitions. Our listeners can save $15 off the next purchase. Just use the code PAPERTEAM, all capitals, all one word at the checkout to receive your discount. And you can learn more about all of the Launchpad's current and upcoming writing competitions by visiting tblaunchpad.com. And as always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any thoughts, feedback, thoughts, opinion, ideas for future episodes or questions, you can send them all to ask at paperteam.co. And next week, well, we are actually going to take a break for Memorial Day. So we will see you on Monday, June 5th with an episode about writing TV stunt specs with a guest, Billy Domino, who wrote the infamous Seinfeld 9-11 stunt spec. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. We'll see you then.